Well, good morning, Fellowship family. It's great to have you here as we begin a new series this morning. It's called Christmas Revealed, and we're looking at how it's revealed to us in God's Word. And uh, we're going to be looking at two passages today as different gospel writers introduce us to Jesus. The first one is John. John, in our devotional reading this week, we looked at John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. And John introduces Jesus as the Word, the eternal Word of God. And he takes us not just to the birth of Jesus, but all the way back to the beginning, to the beginning, when in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Think about this passage here, and we'll be digging into this in future weeks, just how Jesus is shown in light and shining into the darkness as the word of God going all the way back from the beginning today. Matthew has a different take, and Matthew speaks primarily to a Jewish audience when he's showing that Jesus is the Christ, the expected anointed one, the Messiah. He introduces Jesus in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, like this. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And then immediately it goes into Jesus' family line. And I don't know about you, but whenever I'm reading a genealogy in the scriptures... My eyes kind of gloss over. There's, there's others who just dive into it and just start doing it, but my eyes kind of gloss over, and, and he begat, and he begat, and he begat her, and then they were the father of, and they were the father of, and at two in, and I'm going like, okay, this is too complicated for me. I don't know about this family tree. So I decided this week, as I prepared for this message, to focus on one verse of this genealogy, and it's this one. We're going to be looking at Jesus Christ, the name given to Jesus, who he was the Messiah. He was the expected anointed one. He was son of David, and he was son of Abraham. Okay, so let's look at that. Matthew starts with Abraham, the father of the Jewish people. It was to Abraham who God made that promise that I will bless you, I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing and all the world will be blessed through you. And so as we look at this, as we look at this in Matthew, um, that's that promise, that's that promise to Abraham. Now, Matthew asks us to look back a little bit, right, so that we might lean forward in faith. And so we, we hear about Abraham, and we make that promise, and I want you to think about that promise. Think about if you were an Israelite slave in Egypt, and you were, it was harsh. Your reality was oppressive. You, you're probably, your greatest fear physically is that you would get injured. Because if you get injured, you'd easily be displaced and just laid to the side of a culture who had no grace, no love for you. And if you are a people of the promise, and yet you're living in Egypt, and you're wondering, is God going to fulfill his promise? I mean, even after, after Joseph was there, I mean, 400 years went by it was really difficult for you to think about this promise that God made to Abraham. It would have, must have thought like it was a fairy tale because you heard this, you heard your parents speaking about it, but in reality, it was really, it was kind of challenging to hear, uh, hear the word of God like this. I will make you of a great nation, make of you a great nation. 
when they were not their own nation, they were being oppressed by Egypt. And I will bless you. Didn't feel like blessing. Matter of fact, their lives felt more like a curse. And your name will be great. Our name is thrown around like trash. So that you will be a blessing. My goodness, we're a blessing, but we feel cursed. And in you, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. We're just a group of people that right now are enslaved and oppressed and exploited. How in the world is God going to fill this or fulfill this promise? Have you ever been overwhelmed like that? Have you been, ever been overworked like that? Exhausted? That, that God's promise to you just seems elusive. It doesn't seem consistent with the life that you have. In all of their existence in, in, uh, in Egypt, after they fell out of favor with Egypt, they became slaves. Think about this woman, even thinking about the legislation that was passed to kill every Israelite boy that was born. And your whole vision, your whole plan, your whole identity was wrapped up in an oppressive society. And then to even to think about the legacy. I mean, you're a slave. Your father was a slave. Your grandfather was a slave. Your great-grandfather was a slave. They knew nothing else. So that when God brought in the news of a deliverer, Moses came and spoke to him. God has heard your groanings. God has heard your cries. He has heard you, and he will deliver you out of the land of Egypt. Look what it says. They did not listen to Moses because of their broken spirit and harsh slavery. I mean... They couldn't get it because their realities didn't match up with that promise that God gave. And so the announcement that Jesus would be born and he would be son of Abraham connects us to a God who was faithful to his promise. Because although it didn't work in their time frame and it didn't work in the way they anticipated, God sent a deliverer. He sent Moses. He sent his supernatural forces of mighty acts against Egypt through the plagues and ultimately on Passover to move them out of Egypt and into the land that he swore to give Abraham and Isaac and Jacob to give them. The promise was fulfilled. If you were a slave in those situations and you would have concluded God, God, his word is, is not, he's not fulfilled his promise. He's not here. He doesn't care. You would be wrong. You would be wrong. I mean, it's logical to think about this. So the sending of a deliverer would ultimately give hope to their doubts. And the sending of Jesus brings hope to our doubts. When Matthew introduces him as son of Abraham, he's saying God was true to his word. He was true to his word. May not have happened in their time frame, but he's true to his word. You know, when I think about something um, that I, or, or what, when I bring uh, doubt to my faith, I, I uh, ask the question, and just as I was reflecting on this, when, what fuels my doubts in the goodness of God? And here's what I wrote down. This is not rocket science. It's just reality, okay? When I lose something or someone I love, when things don't work out the way I expect them to, when things I invest in don't profit or benefit me. I know it sounds really selfish, doesn't it? But it was when those things happen in my life, we tend to think, God, are you there? Do you care? Why, why Why don't I have more of this? Why isn't it better? Why is it so difficult? And the coming of Jesus is to remind us God is a God of his word. He will fulfill his promises. 
Secondly, we see in this passage, son of David. Jesus is son of Abraham, now he's son of David. And if you look at the promise to David, here it is. The Messiah would come through the line of David. David would rule, and he was one of the greatest kings of Israel. And you could look to him and go, my goodness, far from perfect, but he had a heart for God. He wrote many of our psalms, and he, he teaches us how to worship. Even today, in the 21st century, we can look at the psalms, and our hearts can be fed with worship to, to who God is. Jesus was in the, the line of David. He's the son of David. But you think about what happened after the reign of David. And Israel was scattered, right? They no longer worshipped God. They worshipped the gods of the nations around them. So God scattered them to the nations. Remember in Babylon? Babylon came in 586, besieged the city of Jerusalem, tore down the walls, and carted off the people. And he carried them away. And Babylon eventually was overthrown by Persia, Media Persia, and they ruled. Can you imagine being in exile in Persia? taken away from that city of promise, right? Jerusalem, taken away from your place of worship. They even developed the habit there of turning towards Jerusalem and praying that God would return them. And God gave them this word. In 70 years, I will bring you back. And so can you imagine 50 years into that? You were a little kid when that that mass exodus happened. You just saw, you just from a child's perspective, you saw what happened there and what the nation lost as they were carted away. Now you have your own family. You have your own children. You're in a Persian culture that is assimilating all the other cultures. And you have this worry. Will our God be known in the future? Will we ever go back? Will our spiritual identity ever be something for us? And that whole heritage and legacy of faith that God has given us, will that ever be? I just see my kids becoming more and more like the culture. Do you ever feel that way? And when you think about that, that's, those thoughts that you have are very similar to a thought of an exile, wondering, God, are you going to work? Are you still true to your word? They would cry out. Psalm 89 really gives us a clear picture into an exile's mind when they say, Lord, where is your steadfast love of old by which your faithfulness you swore to David? Again, there's that David statement. Remember, O Lord, how your servants are mocked and how I bear in my heart the insults of all the nations with which your enemies mock. O Lord, with which they mock the footsteps of your anointed. This is kind of that that picture of them being moved away from their land, from their people, from their heritage into a foreign place that was ultimately just wanting them to assimilate into a Persian culture. And yet them saying, where's your love of old? See, what God was teaching them is, will they wait? Will you wait on me? Because I will, that was his promise. I'll bring you back, but will you be patient with me? And they had to learn that patience to wait on God's timing. When Paul introduces the birth of Jesus in the book of Galatians, he said, in the fullness of time, God brought forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. That passage begins with, in the fullness of time, in God's timing, right? The coming of Jesus is, it brings perspective to our patience. Because the whole world waited for the Messiah to come. They looked for this leader who would come in the line of David, who would rule. So Jesus, son of David, is basically, this is the one. He is the one, the promised 
Messiah. And it gave perspective to their waiting. Now, I also uh, have tested for patience in my own life, and here it is. Here's my results. Negative. (laughs) Negative. I hate to wait. I hate to wait two days for Amazon, and yet it comes from the vast domain of the United States for it to arrive in two days. That's a miracle in itself. We don't like to wait. I don't like to wait on my, in the movie, or like last night when I was watching a football game, and all of a sudden it started, my, my screen started to buffer, okay? And I'm, stop it, what's going on? What's, and it's just a frozen image, and I don't like to wait. For, I don't like to wait at Chick-fil-A. <laughs> I, I go into that line, and when they divide you into two, I always hedge my bets. Which one is going to be faster? Okay, that one looks like they talk a little slow, so I'll go in this one. Or they're driving this car. I, I can go faster than that car. I don't know what in the world that is. And the problems with impatience is you end up in a place you never planned for. You know why that is? Because you didn't plan. You just acted, right? A pastor um, named Chuck Swindoll was telling a story where he was in the line at McDonald's recently, and he was taking too long. And now he's 85 years old. And so he's kind of giving the order as fast as he can. And the lady behind him lays on her horn and starts yelling out the worst obscenities in the world that he's ever heard at him. And he looks back and then keeps giving the order. And he goes around, he goes forward to the place, the window where you pay, and he pays. And as he's thinking, he goes, I'm going to buy her meal too. So he, he pays it forward, Okay. And uh, he drives up the next one to get his food. And she drives into the lane where you pay. And she recognizes he's paid for her. And so she just toots her horn again and goes, thank you. I'm sorry. And as he got his meal, he looked at, looked at the attendant there. And she goes, give me her meal too. So he took her meal because he paid for it. And he drove away. And so she would have to get to that window and have to go all the way back in line, okay? And his, his moral was, don't mess with old people. <laughs> but again, that impatience put her in a place she never expected. That story didn't end up. I thought a pastor would do the nice thing and pay it. Not this one. <laughs> impatience always puts you in a place you never planned to be in. You know you shouldn't marry that person. But, but you make it a split decision because you don't want to be alone. You know you're not supposed to uh, extort money from your company on the expense report. But you've got bills to pay. This is the quick way to do it. You know it's best for you not to say that. But this one gets the laugh. See, impatience always moves us into that. And in our relationship with God, it moves me into acting before I actually trust God with my life. And yet every day I recognize how many things are out of my control and how many things I don't know, and I'm tempted to take control with those things. Patience ultimately submits to God's will and way and timing for you. And the truth is, is if we look back, and we have the benefit of thousands of years of history, Old Testament to the New Testament, like that exile, we could look back and go, my goodness, it took Abraham, the God who promised Abraham a child, 
It took him in the 90s to have a child. But God was true to his word. And I know there's a lot of yeah buts, and we can say a lot of yeah buts to the work of God, but he's faithful to his word. After 70 years, he did bring him back. He did bring him back into the land. There was a faithful witness in the land. It reminds us as we look forward to lean forward in faith as we deal with the patience of God. And so next we have Jesus the Christ. He's the son of Abraham. He's the son of David. He's Jesus the Christ. Jesus the man, Christ the God. Fully God, fully man, as John introduces Jesus to us. Matthew just calls him Jesus Christ because he's the Messiah. He's the anointed one. And to the Jewish audience that was looking for their Savior, was looking for their Messiah, Matthew says, he's here. He's here. God already brought him here. So look back to who this Jesus is and was and what he did for you and believe in him. Believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. Now think with me, if you were a builder in Nazareth at the time that Jesus was born, like Joseph was, Think about you are engaged to be married. Your whole life is about building things. And by the way, your father was a builder and his father was a builder because that's what you do. And if, if, if things were a little slow around Nazareth, another city, a Roman city for a different kingdom than the kingdom of Israel, the Roman Empire was being built, Sepphoris, within walking distance. I visited there multiple times. It was a pristine city that always had work. And most likely, Joseph worked over at Sepphoris and brought Jesus with him when he was a boy. But here, before you're married, your fiancé comes to you and says, I'm pregnant. Now, that wasn't how it was supposed to work, especially in the Jewish world, a traditional Jewish world. You got married, you had the wedding, you settled down, and you had a child. For him, for her to say this, it didn't match up with everything he, she, he knew about her, and he didn't know what to do. Certainly, this would cause public, public humiliation and scorn and ridicule from their best of friends. What would people say? What should I do? And as he pondered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph... Son of David, there's that phrase again, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And then the angel said this exactly, look back, Joseph, look back, remember what was given to the prophet Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah was spoken over and over at the synagogue in Nazareth, and it was a scroll, probably 45 feet long, that was read often because it looked forward to the coming Messiah, the Christ, who would be given by God. And it was the fulfillment of this passage. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which is God with us. Next week, we'll learn about this name of Jesus, that he will save his people from their sins. But here, it's God with us. And you think about Joseph. He, he ultimately, he's just, he's just a worker, just a, just a guy off to the side, not in the center of the Roman Empire, off to the side in the Jewish world. He ultimately, God brought meaning to his experience. And what I mean by that is it gave, he gave purpose because Joseph was simply available 
He didn't understand everything God was doing, but he could, he could take the next step. And sure enough, after the angel talks to him, he does exactly what he, he, he said he would, the angel commanded him to do. He took Mary as his wife, and then he, when the child was born, he named him Jesus. God shows us in the, in the bringing forth of his son, in the revealing of Christ to this world, he shows us, look, it's not, it's not the wealthy. It's not the powerful. It's not the rulers. Uh, it's not the pristine background or the incredible future of, of life that gets you into the game of God. It's the humble, available person, which now, I've just opened this up, there's hope for all of us, right? Those of us who are prideful, we have to get over ourselves so that we're humble and that we're available to God again. If I'm too busy in this world, if I'm too distracted by the things of this world, if I'm too consumed with myself, I will not be used of God, right? I'm too busy, too busy. I got things to do. And by the way, line up. You serve me. I don't serve you. That's how many people view their relationship with God. But this story of God revealing his son to us reminds us, be faithful, be humble, be available. Those are the ones. And that doesn't, re- that doesn't require a pristine family background. That doesn't I- require marriage. It doesn't require kids. It requires you. Wherever you're at, whether you plan to be here or it's part of your plan, God wants you to be available right where you're at. And think about that with me real quick. We talked about being available with our Christmas offering last year. We thought God could use us to provide resources and help 10 families who've been displaced by the Ukrainian war uh, back here in the States. And as we've gotten to know those 10 families, it was amazing that God ultimately entrusted us with 40, right? We never planned for that, but we were available. And as you were available, the more resources you gave, the more people we could help. That's the power of a church our size is that if we were all available, my goodness, we could do miraculous things in the hand of God. So we want to be people who are available because God doesn't have to give us the next thing on our list before we'll humble ourselves and are open to him leading in our lives. And this gives meaning to every one of us. Every one of us has purpose in the hands of God. Jesus said it. He said it another promise, and he said it right before he was arrested and crucified and buried and then rose on the third day. This is what he said to his disciples. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. In other words, there's room for you. And if it were not so, would I ever have said that I'd go to prepare a place for you? But if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. So you know what? We're waiting. We're like the slaves in Israel. We're like the exiles in Persia. We're waiting. We're waiting for the second return of Christ. And Matthew uses the introduction of Christ, the revealing of Christ, so that we'd glance back and lean forward in faith. That we'd realize we're in a time, do you know, just as you look at history, 
general history and even the revelation, people were in between different promises of God. They didn't always live in the fulfillment, the exact and the full and final fulfillment, but they lived in the process. They lived in the in-between time. We're in the in-between time. 2,000 years after Christ, almost 2,000 years after he's left this world, we're the church still waiting. And we could look back and go, God, are you there? Do you care? Why haven't you come back? And Peter reminds us. He says this. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. So church, we wait. But we don't wait passively. We wait expectantly. And we wait, as, and as we wait, we share Jesus with everyone around us. If we're available with the gospel in our lives and we're available to give the gospel, I mean, then every one of us, when God scatters us in just a few minutes, when I quit preaching, okay, and you have about a hat enough, so I'm almost done. So, but hang with me, okay? When, when I quit preaching and we say amen, amen means this, the show's not over. The story's not over. God's going to use that story when you leave this place. And he's going to literally entrust thousands to this room this next week. If you're available for it. And if you're willing to live it. Because in the in-between, God's patience leads to repentance. As you're faithful with the gospel, God will use you to advance the gospel in the lives of others. So be that church. Be that church. And as we look at this, what we're going to do now is we're going to, like, like the, um, the Israelites had after they were delivered from Egypt, they had Passover to, re, to look back so that they'd lean forward. We have this. We have the Lord's Supper. And so as we take these, we're going to take these together as a family. But before we do that, I want you to consider right now, we've just heard about the revealing of Christ and we've shared the story of three different people that waited for that promise to be fulfilled. And churches, you wait. Which one of those areas that I talked about is something that you need to open up your heart to the Lord? So I want you to use this song to prepare your heart. Here's how I want you to do that. Number one, if you're exhausted... If you're overwhelmed, like a slave in Israel was, look forward. Put your rest in Christ who lived and died and rose for you. Thank him for his work. You are in not because you've worked your way in. You're in because God saved you in Christ. He came and he lived a life none of us could live. He died a death none of us could pay for. And he rose from the dead to defeat sin and the power of death in our lives. Secondly, Those, oh ye, who are impatient. Hello. We need to find our rest and our confidence and place it in God's timing. Very few things in a very very impatient world are happening the way we expect them or want them to happen, which means we've got to go, I can't control this. I've got to trust God's timing with myself, with that person, with this process. And we'll learn, especially if you're mature, you'll learn that that doesn't happen overnight. That happens daily as you practice the patience of God. And then finally, for those who maybe got unexpected news this week and are having to wonder, God, what are you doing? What meaning does my life have? I want to just connect you back to Jesus. 
as Jesus was born off the center of the world, off to the side, but right in the center of God's will. You may feel abandoned. You may feel like you don't belong, but remember the humble, available heart is what God uses. So use this time as we prepare before we take this as a family. Prepare your heart and surrender your heart and align to God's plan for you.